0: We've been working through this series called 20 Chapters. We're looking at 20 um, key chapters in the Old Testament that help outline uh, the story of redemption, particularly through the Old Testament leading up to Jesus. Last week, if you were here, Essen uh, led us through Ruth chapter 4, which really was just also a summary of the whole book of Ruth. And if you remember, uh, Ruth ended with David. It ended with the hope that there was a king to come. And the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning, if you have your Bibles, open to 1 Samuel 16. In this passage, we read about David being anointed as the king of Israel. More importantly, it's him being anointed as God's king for his people. Now, you may be wondering, what does this have to do with us today? How does a passage about a king that existed thousands of years ago, how does that apply to us today? Well, this passage really is about perspective. It is about how we as human beings, how we view things, compared to how God views things. You know, although circumstances have changed, our natures have not. We still view the world and we view our lives differently than the way that God does. God sees things perfectly, He sees things clearly, He sees things fully and comprehensively, and we do not. Therefore, not everything that we see, not everything that you believe is correct. The passage this morning will help us see that there's an important difference in how God sees things versus how we as as human beings see things. It will not only show us that, it will help us understand there's a big difference between the things that we feel that we want versus the things that we actually need. Not only will this passage show us that, but it also reminds us that there is always hope. For those of us who are trusted in Jesus, we have hope. So when everything in your life is falling apart, every, when, even when things in this world around you seem like it's going in the wrong direction, God has a plan. And it is a good plan. It is a perfect plan. He has a plan for you, and he has a plan for this world. And he is faithful in fulfilling His plan, and therefore none of us are ever without hope. That was true in the days of David, and it is true for us as well. So, in honor of the words of God, I invite you to stand, and I'll be reading 1 Samuel 16. I'll be reading just the first half of the chapter. And this is the word of God, and it is given to us in love. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him? Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peacefully I come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourself and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and he thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on his height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all of your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent, and he brought him in. Now he was ruddy, and he had beautiful eyes, and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we do thank you for your word. We pray particularly this morning that you would give us wisdom and insights, that you would allow us to see Jesus in this chapter. Lord, I pray that we would be greatly encouraged knowing that you are sovereign over all things, And I pray that that would give us great hope. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So this passage announces that there is a new king. God chooses David to be king over Israel, and so he sends Samuel to anoint him with oil. But not only is this chapter about the anointing of a new king, it is also about the rejection of the current king. Saul has been rejected by God. Now, these two men, they, they represent two perspectives or two views. There is the way of the world, and then there is the way of the Lord. And these two ways are at odds with each other. The people have, has cho- have chosen to follow the way of the world, and that led them to Saul as their first king. We see this back in chapter 8 when we read that the elders, they gathered together, and they came to Samuel, and they said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. You see, Israel, they wanted to be like the other nations, and part of what that meant is they wanted a king. Just like all the other nations had a king to rule over them, they wanted a king for themselves, one to judge them, to rule over them, one to lead them to, hopefully, prosperity and blessing. But really what they wanted is they didn't want to be ruled by God. They wanted freedom. They wanted autonomy. And God granted them their desire. They chose to follow the way of the world instead of following the way of the Lord. And what was the result of that? Saul was now their king. But he was not a good choice. He was was not a good king. He disobeyed the Lord and he led Israel astray. And this is why we find Samuel here in verse 1 grieving. Grieving. He's grieving over Saul, and he's grieving over the people of Israel. He sincerely hoped that Saul would be a good king, that Saul would trust the Lord and follow the Lord. But Saul had not done that, and Samuel is grieving Saul. But not only is he grieving Saul, he's grieving the state of Israel because they have rejected God. And they are suffering because of this. They are suffering under Saul's failed leadership. So Samuel grieves for Saul. He grieves for Israel. The people wanted a king to lead them to prosperity and blessing. And by all worldly standards, Saul was the perfect choice. He was handsome. He was taller than everyone else, which in that day and age actually carried a certain authority and stature. He was strong. He really seemed like the right man for the job. And so he was anointed king over Israel. And so Israel's thinking to themselves, now we have a great king. Now we are like the other nations. Now we are going to be prosperous. We are going to be secure. We are going to become the envy of all the other nations. But that's not what happens. What the people wanted did not live up to their expectations. And this is how the world works life is full of unmet expectations. Life is full of disappointments. Life is full of grief. Why? It's because you cannot follow the world and follow the Lord at the same time. Choosing to follow the way of the Lord is actually re- or the way of the world is actually rejecting God. And that is what Israel had done. They rejected God as their king and they wanted Saul instead. And the result was suffering and grief. Not only does the way of the world lead to grief, but it also leads to fear. And we see this in this passage. God God tells Samuel that the time for grief was over. He's basically saying it's time now to press on. For I have chosen a new king, so go and anoint this new king. And Saul's response is one of fear. And it really shouldn't be a surprise because think about it. King Saul is still on the throne and Samuel's being sent to anoint a new king. That actually would be considered an act of treason. So he's fearful for his life. But he needs to be reminded who is in control. Who is the one that has authority over his life? God is sovereignly working this all out, so he instructs Samuel what to do. He tells him to go and prepare a sacrifice and to invite Jesse and all of his sons to that sacrifice. Now, I need to stop here for a moment because some people accuse God of lying in this passage. They accuse God of encouraging Samuel to fabricate a story and to conceal the truth from Saul. But if you think about it, it actually can be pretty easily that argument can be easily dismissed, because Samuel was indeed going to make a sacrifice. It was going to be in the context of a sacrifice to the Lord that an anointing of a king would take place. And that was right and fitting. Matter of fact, that is what happened with King Saul as well. His anointing took place in the midst of sacrifices. So Samuel was not lying because he was actually going to make sacrifices. And not only that, but he also was under no obligation to share everything else that he was going to do on his journey. And we just need to be reminded that God is a God of truth. He's not a God of lies. So Samuel did everything that God commanded him to do. And when he was approaching Bethlehem, he was greeted by the elders. And they came out to him and they basically asked him, are you coming in peace? Now that may seem like an odd question. Why were they so concerned? You know, Samuel was a a great man. He was well-respected. Why were they so concerned about him coming to little Bethlehem? Well, prophets oftentimes did come to speak words of blessing. They came oftentimes to give direction. But sometimes prophets also came with rebuke and words of judgment. Matter of fact, just earlier in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, Uh, we read about how Samuel summons Agag, who is the king of the Amalekites, before him. And he passes judgment upon him. And then it literally says that he hacks Agag to pieces in the presence of the Lord. That is what Samuel has just done. And word about that is starting to spread. So the people of Bethlehem, they are right to fear the coming of Samuel. Because they don't know, is he coming to bless or is he coming to judge? The way of the world leads to fear. Why is that? All of us as human beings, we know deep down, even though we suppress it, we know that we are sinners. We know that we deserve judgment for our sins. And we fear that one day, one day that judgment is going to come. Do you live in fear? Are you afraid that one day you will finally be exposed for who you truly are? Do you fear the coming of the Lord? The people of Bethlehem, they feared that Samuel could be coming to bring judgment. But on this day, he was coming in peace. And not only that, but he was coming to anoint a new king. And when Jesse and his sons arrived, Samuel immediately notices Eliab, who's the oldest. Because Eliab, he, he looked apart. part. He looked like the right candidate to be the new king. And Samuel even thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But God quickly corrects him. He says, Eliab is not the one. You are looking with the wrong eyes, you are looking at the wrong things. But don't we do this too? Isn't this what we do? That we see things through the lens of the world rather than through the lens of Jesus? That we put too much emphasis upon external things? We give too much attention to things that ultimately don't matter and that will not last? We not only do that in how we view other people, but we do that even in how we view ourselves. We all want to be important. We all want to be significant. We all want to be valued. And, and those instincts are not necessarily wrong. However, it is how we pursue those things. And in, in, in the ways that we pursue those things is where we miss the mark. Because we tend to focus on external things. One commentator said this, that we are raised in the grammar of selecting to find significance based on external things. We drink that water. We believe that life is found in what you can see. We are brought up in that grammar of understanding life, and it is so natural to us that we don't understand how destructive it can be. And we don't understand the damage that it's doing to our own hearts. And that is what... The world does. This is how the world works, that we value things that not only don't ultimately matter, but that are actually destructive to our own hearts. We are tempted daily to determine our worth, to determine our, our value on worldly standards. Now, it might be your looks, it might be your physical appearance, it could be your resume, it could be the, your relationships, the people that you're connected with, it could be your intelligence... These are all sorts of things that we use to determine worth and value and significance. And these are the same criteria that we use when we evaluate how we view and treat other people. And that is what Israel was doing. And it got them Saul as their king. That is what Samuel was doing when he looks at Eliab. But Saul is rejected by God. Eliab is rejected by God because God sees differently than we do. He sees differently from the world. The way of the world leads to grief and fear because it focuses on external things. It judges people with things that don't or by things that don't ultimately matter. It is in opposition to the way of the Lord. So instead of giving people what they really want, God is going to give them what they actually need. He's not going to give them a king that's going to lead them to more judgment. He's going to give them a king that's going to lead them to blessing. And we see this even in verse 1. It says, God is going to provide a king for himself. This new king, it's God's choice. It's not the people's choice. God is the one who's going to choose the king. Why? It's because God sees differently than we do. His ways are better than our ways. Even the great prophet Samuel would have made the wrong choice for king. And that's why God offers him a rebuke in verse 7. And then he reminds Samuel, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Now this verse really summarizes the whole chapter that God sees differently than we do. And the word that's that's used here for "see" is actually connected. It means more than just vision. It's connected to this idea of, of selecting and choosing. It's saying that God chooses not as man chooses because we choose things based on the wrong criteria. God chooses things based on the right criteria. He's never wrong. His choice is always good and right because it's based upon his own character. It's based upon his own heart. The other thing that we need to see here is when God says that he looks on the heart, that can actually be better translated as this, that the Lord looks according to his heart. In other words, God chooses David to be king not because David has a heart that is right, but because David was his sovereign choice. David was chosen by God according to his heart. He was chosen by God because that was God's eternal will and good purpose. You see this passage, and I think we get this wrong often. This passage is not about God choosing a man who is particularly good or even choosing a man who has God in his heart. It is about God having this man in his heart. It was God's plan from eternity past to anoint David as king. This passage is not about a special man. It is about a sovereign God. And David himself acknowledges this later in 2 Samuel 7.21 when he says, Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. So God chooses David to be king according to his own heart. He's sovereign over all things, including who will be the next king of Israel. And I think this is important for us to see. It's important for us to understand. Because the focus of this passage is really not on who David is. It's not about what David has done. The focus is on God and who God is. That he is sovereign and he is able to choose the one who will be king. And David is his choice. And David is not the one that we would have chosen ourselves. Matter of fact, David's own father didn't even think it was necessary to bring him to this event. He was out in the fields looking after the sheep. David was the youngest of Jesse's son. And in that culture, that meant he was the least significant of all the sons. He was also a shepherd. And in that day and age, shepherds were one of the lowliest professions you could have. It was a profession that was often done by slaves. They were looked down upon. And then when he's summoned to come before Samuel, David is described as being ruddy, handsome, and that he had beautiful eyes. Now that's what I wrote in my autobiography about me. There's nothing wrong about those qualities. They're not bad qualities. But in essence, really what is being said here is that David is a good-looking kid. He's not a king. He's not the candidate to be king. He's a good-looking kid. And yet, David is God's sovereign choice. And so Samuel's instructed to anoint him with oil. And when this happens, what do we read? That the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon him. And right here we see yet another distinction between the old king, between Saul and between the new king, David, because we read later in verse 14 that the Spirit is removed from Saul. That it departs from him. But this is not going to happen to the God's choice. This is not going to happen to God's king. Because the Spirit came upon David, and what does the verse say? That it will remain on him from this day forward. Now we need to take a moment to explain what all this means about this coming and going of the Spirit. About the Spirit coming upon David and departing from Saul. How are we to understand what's happening here? we need to know that this passage is not about the souls or salvation of David and Saul. It is about their calling. When somebody comes to faith, when you put your trust in Jesus, it is that very moment that the Spirit of God indwells within you. You are given the Holy Spirit from Jesus. It is one of the great gifts of salvation. And the indwelling of the Spirit is something that you will never lose. It cannot be taken from you. You cannot lose the Spirit. So He will never depart from you in that sense. However, Scripture also teaches us that there's another way that the Spirit can come upon people. There are times where the Spirit comes upon people in special, unique ways to equip them and empower them for a particular calling. And that is what's happening here. The Spirit came upon Saul when he was anointed as king to enable him, to equip him to, to fulfill his calling as king. But now that God has rejected him, the Spirit has been removed. And David is the one that is now filled with the Spirit. The Spirit is the one that's going to empower and equip David to fulfill his calling. He's going to enable David to to faithfully serve as king by equipping him with everything that he needs to be king. The Spirit's going to give him wisdom and knowledge and power and strength and many other gifts to enable him to serve faithfully as king. And this has great implications for us as well. You see, David is going to go on and do many great things. Why or how is he able to do those things? It's not because he's worthy. It's not because he was some extraordinary man. He was able to do all of those great things because he's been given the Spirit. It's because the Spirit was with him. The Spirit empowered him and enabled him to do those things. So all of those things that we read about David doing, it happens after this event. It's at, happens after the Spirit is poured out upon him. And how does this affect us? Why does this matter for us today? Whatever God calls you to do, whatever he calls you to do, he will also enable and equip you to accomplish that. Now God may be calling you to do something even now that seems impossible, You may be sensing his call to do something and you're thinking to yourself, there's just no way I can do that. Well, the truth is, you're correct. You can't do it if you try to do it in your own power, if you try to do it with your own strength, your own wisdom. We can do nothing apart from God. David would not have been a good king if he had not been called by God. He would not have been a good king if he had not been equipped with the Holy Spirit But with the Spirit, there is absolutely nothing that you cannot do for God if He calls you to do it. The Spirit will enable you to accomplish all that you're called to do. Do you actually believe that's true? If God is calling you to do something, He will enable and equip you to do that. Do you believe that? Whatever it might be. It may be small things. Maybe God is just simply calling you to to talk to your neighbor about Jesus. Maybe if you're a student, God is calling you to befriend that one kid at your school that nobody likes, even though that might hurt your reputation. Maybe he's calling you to help a family member that is struggling with substance abuse and you know by intervening it's going to cause lots of problems. Maybe... God is calling you to, to quit your job and go to the mission field. I don't know what it is, but whatever God is calling you to do, however big or small it might be, He will also give you everything you need to accomplish that in His will, in His power. We see here that God sovereignly equips David to serve him as king. And so in this passage, you know, we see that David is chosen by God, he's anointed by Samuel, he has the, pour, the spirit poured out upon him, enabling equipping him to do his, to fulfill his role as king. And so you might think that the next thing that we see is David on the throne, right? But that's not what happens. It's actually going to be years before David sits on the throne. And life is not going to be easy for him while he waits. Shortly after this passage, David literally comes face to face with a giant And then after that, he spends a part of his lifetime on the run, fearing for his life because Saul is trying to kill him. You see, just because David has been given a calling, just because he's been given the Holy Spirit, does not mean things will get easy. And I think we need to remember this as well. When you follow Jesus, it's not always going to be easy. However, despite those difficulties, there is nothing that's going to stand in the way of God accomplishing his will through you. God chose David to be king. He is anointed of his king as he poured out his spirit upon him to equip him to be king. But David still needs to be prepared. And so we get a picture of this in the second half of the chapter. I didn't have, for time's sake, a chance to read the second half of 1 Samuel 16. But what you read in there is that God sends a tormenting spirit upon King Saul, and King Saul can only find relief from the Spirit through somebody who's skilled at playing a musical instrument, at playing the lyre. And it just so happens that there's a servant in Saul's court that just so happens to know that there's a son of Jesse who happens to be skilled at playing the lyre. And that, of course, is David. And so David is invited into the king's court. And whenever David plays his instrument, it brings relief to King Saul. So Saul falls in love with this man, and he makes him an armor bearer. And this is all part of God's sovereign plan. It puts David in a place where he can observe the workings of the throne and better be prepared to become king when his day comes. Well, maybe God has you right now somewhere that just doesn't make sense to you. Maybe you're struggling to see how anything possibly good could come out of your current circumstance. Maybe you're struggling to trust in God's sovereign plan. Well, be assured, God does have a plan. And it will not fail. What you are going through right now very well could be God's way of preparing you for what He has next. Do you actually trust Him? The way of the Lord is better than the way of the world. His way is better than our way. One pastor said this, God is not going to give us the things that we think are the most important. He's not going to give us those dreams because he has better dreams. He has better life plans for us. You see, God has a plan for your life. And it is the perfect plan. And he will sovereignly work all things for your good and for his glory. We see an example of that in the life of David. God chose David to be king not because David was worthy, but because David was God's sovereign choice. He then equips him and prepares him to fulfill this calling. And David will become a great blessing to the people of God. He will lead them to peace and prosperity. But David is not the one to get the glory for this. God is the one that does this. He does it through David. David is his instrument. So God is the one who is glorified through him. David will be a great king. But he will not be a perfect king but he does foreshadow the perfect king to come. Jesus is the true and perfect king. You see, David defeated the physical enemies of God, and he establishes an earthly kingdom. Jesus came to defeat all the enemies of God. He came to defeat Satan, sin, and death, and to establish the kingdom of God that will last forever and ever. David was a shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. He will lead you to good pastures. He will protect you from evil he and he laid down his life for you David was anointed as king but Jesus is the anointed one He is greater than David in every respect You see Jesus is the one that the world was longing to see come He was the one particularly that God's people were waiting to come But when Jesus came the world rejected him because he was not, he did not live up to our worldly standards. He was not what they were expecting. So he was despised. He was ridiculed. He was abandoned. He was rejected. And ultimately he was killed as a criminal on the cross. But God had a plan. God had a good and sovereign plan. Jesus' death was necessary. Atonement for sin was needed, and Jesus was willing to make atonement for his people. And so he lays down his life for a sheep. He laid down his life for you. Why? Because that was the only way. Your king loves you, and he wants you to be his. And his blood was the price that needed to be paid to make you his own. So he paid that price willingly. He paid that price out of love. And then he rose victorious from the grave, and that victory is now ours in Christ. And he's now seated on the throne. You see, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world full of sin. And yes, the world is fallen. But Jesus is on the throne. We see sin all around us. We struggle with sin in our own hearts. But Jesus is on the throne. The enemies of God, they're gloating about being victorious. Being victorious over God. But Jesus is on the throne. Your life may be full of difficulties, it may be full of disappointments. But Jesus is on the throne. And his coming will be soon. And the way of the king is one of life, is one that will bring joy and peace. So really the question each of us has to ask this morning is this. Is Jesus your king? Have you submitted to him? Or are you still following the way of the world? Because following the way of the world is a rejection of this king. But if you follow the Lord, it will lead you to Jesus as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And this king, this king who is ruling now, he will never disappoint you. He will never fail you. He will not turn his back on you because you are precious in his sight. Your worth, your value, your significance It's not determined by the world. It's not even determined by yourself. It is determined by your king. And you are precious in his sight. You cannot exhaust his love for you. You are his and He will never, ever let you go. We are eternally secure in His arms. And therefore, in Jesus, and in Jesus alone, we have hope. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we do thank You for the reminder that You are sovereign over all things. You are sovereign over even who rules the nations. And Lord, we see plenty examples of bad kings and rulers throughout the history of this world, but we know that Jesus is the perfect king and that he is ruling and reigning even now. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that does not know him, I pray that today would be the day that they call upon him in faith. And Lord, for those of us who are following Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see things more clearly, that we would not continue to evaluate things using worldly standards, that we not even evaluate ourselves using worldly standards, but that we would see ourselves, that we would see others, that we would see the world through the eyes of our King. We can only do this in your power. Lord, I pray that you would also remind us that whatever you are calling us to do, however big or small it may appear, that you are with us and that you've given us your Spirit to equip and enable us to do all that we are called to do. And I pray that through all of that, that you alone would be glorified.